Hello, everyone. This is Premier Chess CEO, National Master Evan Rabin, and I am very excited to be here on the 180th edition of the Premier Chess podcast with a very special guest, Dr. Richard Lewis. Uh, Richard has actually been teaching for us for uh, about two years uh, or so now. Um, before that, he was actually a dentist for many years. He uh, recently, uh, well, relatively now recently retired um, and decided to go back to his uh, true passion of uh, teaching chess. Um, I first met uh, Richard actually uh, three years ago at the wedding of one of our other instructors, actually, we call Krugliak. Uh, when uh, Michael and international master Jakob Norowitz uh, were kids, uh, he, he taught them. Um, and uh, obviously, Jakob Norowitz is uh, a strong international master. And uh, Mikal is also, uh, you know, a fairly talented player and, and coach as well. And uh, yeah, um, you know, when, when I met uh, Richard at the wedding, he basically said that he was nearing retirement and might be open to, you know, potential teaching opportunities. Uh, we stayed in touch and, uh, you know, about a year or so after that, uh, he started working for us. So uh, he's been a, a great part of our team uh, working at several schools, Corpus Christi uh, in Westchester, Our Lady of Refuge in the Bronx, a couple others. And uh, I, I have the honor of calling him both uh, a friend and colleague. So how, how are you doing today, Dr. Lewis? Doing great. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, look, I talked about you on a nutshell uh is there anything more about your introduction that you think might be a little bit worth uh mentioning as an introduction no i think that was fine <laughs> okay well thank you uh so much for you know coming on so um i guess uh you know to, to start out um what 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 first got you into chess Started playing when I was 10 years old. I was at a summer camp in Maine. And on visiting day, one of my bunkmates got a little chess set that was about two and a half inches by two and a half inches, a tiny little peg set. And uh, he showed me how the pieces moved. And I found it interesting. And we played a few little games. I didn't know too much about it. Uh, but I was 10 years old. And I came home and I found out I had an uncle who played postal chess. And so ah. we had family get togethers. I played with my cousins who were pretty good. And uh, at family get togethers, we played chess. So from the time I was 10 till about the time I was 14, my chess was confined to family get togethers about once or twice a month. Hmm. When I got to high school, my there was a chess team in my high school. And what high school was that? Club. This was Thomas Jefferson High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And the chess coach was a fellow named Les Alt. Hmm. He was a strong A player. He fluctuated between A and expert. And he had two sons, Les Alt Jr., who wrote the book, Bobby Fisher Teaches Chess. And he had another oh, wow. son, Robin Alt, who won the U.S. He was a master. He won the U.S. Junior Championship the year before Bobby Fischer. And so I became friendly with Wes Holt and his two sons. And we went to tournaments together. 
and uh, they ran a tournament and I came in fifth in the tournament and that put me on the chess team. The chess team was made up of five players. There was a league in Union County, New Jersey, and I was fifth board playing with four seniors. I was in 10th grade playing with four seniors. And my first game was a frightening thing for a 10th grader. Two of the seniors won and two of the seniors lost. And the whole match depended on me. It was my first <laughs> match ever. And everybody's gathered around me. And I'm nervous. My head is spinning around. And I just said, don't lose. Don't lose. Don't make a bad move. And the game ended in a draw. Wow. But I was, I was so frightened by that, I figured I better learn how to play this game a little better. Huh. So I went to the Elizabeth Library and I thought the Elizabeth Library, the main library, I used to go to the branch library, but now I went to the main library because I thought they had every book ever written in the history of the world. And I went to the chess section and there were three chess books. So I thought those were the only three chess books in the world. I took them all <laughs> out and I read those three books. And one of them was Paul Morphy's games and they, they intrigued me. They showed me how to. They showed me how to develop quickly and even make sacrifices, and I studied all of Morphy's games, went through every game in the book, studied them over and over again, and I didn't lose another game for the next three years just playing in Morphy's style and openings I had learned from Morphy's games. Hmm. Uh, I went off to college and joined my college chess team. But and where was that? I, that was University of Pennsylvania. Our top board was an international master. I was on board uh, six. We played a match. They had won the top seven boards. We were playing against Penn State. It was Penn against Penn State. They won the top seven boards. My game didn't matter. But uh, I had to make a train. And I'm ahead by a pawn. I offered a draw. My opponent wouldn't accept. I missed my train and I wanted to make the next train. And so uh, I had been playing very fast. We were now in the second time control. I had only used an hour. My opponent had used his two hours from the first time control. He was in his second time control. And I excused myself, left the building and went and caught my train. And I lost that game. And I decided I had no time for chess. And I stopped playing chess in that was 1960, and I didn't play for another 10 years. Hmm. I uh, went on to finish college, finish dental school. I was two years a dentist, and a friend of mine who knew I had played chess in high school challenged a neighbor of his. He said his friend would beat the neighbor. It was This was 1970. He made a $50 bet. And he called me up and he said, you have to play this guy for $50. He said, I'm putting up the $50 and we're going to beat this guy for $50. I said, Barry, I haven't played for 10 years. He said, well, practice up and then you'll play. So I got a few books, started playing, entered a tournament that Goichberg ran in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Hmm. Played in that tournament. Then I went to New York and took 10 lessons with Rosalimo in his chess studio in Greenwich Village. It was $8 wow. a lesson. This was 1970. $8 a lesson for 10 weeks. One lesson a week for 10 weeks. 
And now I was playing tournament chess. My friend got divorced and I never played the guy. So let, let me ask you a, a question. I mean, not everyone can learn with Rasa Limo and, um, you know, look, you, you work for us. I'm not going to mention anyone, uh, you know, the, the rate that I pay you, but it's certainly a lot more than $8 an hour. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's incredible that, you know, you were able to learn with, uh, you know, such a grand grandmaster. Um, for those that don't know, there's actually a Brasilimo Sicilian, uh, you know, named after him. Um, but yeah, what, what was it like learning with him? It was amazing. First of all, his wife would walk behind me and whisper in my ear, she'd say, notice how he gets his queen to the center of the board in the end game. Hmm. She would give me little hints like that. And just little things he did, I learned from. He, when I sat down, I adjusted my pieces. And he noticed that. He said, oh, you're adjusting your pieces. He, he learns from every little thing. How you move your pieces tells him a, a, a bit about my, what my, chess playing style would be like. Um, he was amazed or didn't I, he was like a little puzzled after I played in a tournament and I'd shown my games, he was puzzled why I didn't remember them without a score sheet. He thought you want to just know all your games without a score sheet. But I had to refer to my score sheets to show him what my games were like. Uh, he would help me analyze my games and uh, he gave me a lot of good pointers. And I have to say one thing that's interesting, I'm, I'm cheating here looking at his Wikipedia page as I'm, as I'm talking to you, but his, uh, he was the nephew of a famous Russian neurologist and psychiatrist, uh, Grigory Ivanovich uh, Rosalimo. Uh, so it definitely makes sense that, uh, you know, he would get into, uh, you know, some of the psychology and uh, actually my, my coach, Grandmaster Landon Dawson, uh, one thing he would often uh, talk about is uh, just how uh, I would get uh, too emotional, uh, you know, during matches and uh, a lot of the blunders, uh, you know, th that I would make uh, would be because, you know, I misevaluated the position. I was overconfident. I was underconfident. I was distracted, uh, you know, and, and so on. Um, so speaking of which, I mean, you've been, uh, you know, a coach now for, you know, many, many years. Um, you know, I, I think, at least as far as I know, Yaakov Norwich, uh, my very good friend, uh, who, by the way, is slated to come on the podcast in January. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, a little preview there. But, um, yeah, what, what was it like teaching Yaakov and, and Mikal as, as kids? And, you know, when did you really know that they were uh, really going to be, uh, you know, very strong players. Well, I started teaching them when they were 10 years old hmm. at the school they went to in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And teaching 10-year-olds is not easy because 10-year-old boys, this was an all-boys school they went to, 10-year-old hmm. boys want to beat each other up. They want to play. And I brought in a demonstration board and I would start teaching and I would teach for 15 minutes and let them play for 45 minutes. We had a one hour class. And even before the 15 minutes were up, some of the boys would say, we know all this. We know everything. You don't have to teach us. Let us play. And so mm -hmm. I said, okay, 
whoever knows everything and wants to play can play. And those who want to keep learning, stay up here with me and I'll teach you. And three boys stayed. Well, there were about 20 kids in the class. The other 17, 18 kids started playing. Well, these three boys came up for to continue lessons. And one of those was Yaakov Norowitz. He wanted to keep learning. Um, in contrast, I taught at a girls' school and I taught for an hour and a half. And after 45 minutes of teaching, I would say, now you can play for 45 minutes. And they would say, no, just keep teaching us. It was interesting that girls wanted to keep learning and boys wanted to get right to the game. So, uh, for five hours hmm. and to get a 10 year old to keep have attention for that long a time is unusual, but he sucked it all up. And it was somewhere about the fourth or fifth uh, time that he was in my house. This was after about five weeks. I showed him how to mate with two knights in the middle of the board. And I showed him a difficult problem and I showed him how to solve it, how to move these two knights and mate the king in the middle of the board. And then I, made, I showed him a second problem and I said, now you solve this problem after I showed him. And he immediately went to grab a piece. And I said, Yaakov, you're 10 years old. 10 year olds like to just grab pieces and start moving. I said, hmm. think about it first. And then once you figure out the problem, then you solve it. You, and then mm. you make the move. Don't make a move. Sit on your hands. Mm. Don't be impulsive. Don't grab a piece and move it. And he said, I know how to do it. I said, no, no, this problem, you have to think for a few minutes. He said, no, I, I know it. I said, okay, show me. And he goes, bing, 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 bing. And he does a five-move mate with two knights in the middle of the board. I said, wow. Yaakov, how did you do that? He said, well, you just taught me how to make with two knights in the middle of the board. I said, yes, but I didn't tell you how to solve this difficult problem. And the only, I've seen, I've been with grandmasters who solve problems in an instant. I was with Ben Larson once in 1972 at the US Open in Atlantic City. And he came into the Skittles room at midnight and they set up problems for him and he'd solve them instantly. And here's a 10 year old kid who I've just taught for five weeks and he's solving our problem instantly. And I've only seen grandmasters do that. I've never seen good, strong players solve difficult problems instantly. And I said to his dad, he's got tremendous talent. This kid is, this kid is gonna be good. I could see it because he had this ability to see things so quickly. And uh, so I predicted early on that he'd be a very strong player. Mm. And yeah, done. well, he, he certainly is. Um, you know, I've known him for, you know, many, many years. Um, you know, the first time I met Mikal, actually, uh, we were in Chicago and uh, we basically, the three of us spent an all-nighter at the airport uh, playing Blitz, uh, which was, uh, you know, a lot of fun, but also uh, quite exhausting uh, as well. Um, 
what, you know, over the years have you, you know, sort of learned about, you know, just teaching and, um, you know, you, you, you're, you know, I'm sure some of the, you know, classes that you're teaching, uh, you know, for us and other schools, uh, you know, today, um, you know, are somewhat different than, uh, you know, let's say the yeshiva that you taught uh, Yaakov and Mikal at, you know, in the, in the early 80s. Um, like what, what, what have you learned over the years about teaching chess that, uh, you know, maybe you wish you knew, uh, you know, back then? Well, there's, there's so many things that, that you learn about people when you teach chess. Um, there's all kinds of kids. Some have a fierce interest and some are not so interested. And it's not easy in a class, in a diverse class, with kids of different abilities, some want to learn, some just want to play, and it's uh, it's not easy to teach different kids who have different expectations. Some just want to have fun, some want to learn, some are serious about it, some don't even care at all. Somehow they're in the class just because someone put them there. So uh, it's a challenge many times to, to teach kids, but there's a the great thing about chess is all the people that you meet and the friendships you make over the years and all the different kinds of kids you meet. I, uh, in 2012, I went over to South Africa and I taught at a camp for kids who were ages 10 to 15 who were orphaned or affected by AIDS. A friend of mine ran that camp and asked me if I'd teach chess to these kids. And I taught 150 kids. Um, they were uh, interesting group of kids. Some were orphans, but all had some were affected in some way by AIDS. Some had AIDS, some had family members that had AIDS, some had lost their parents because of AIDS. And uh, this camp taught them life skills and how to be strong, how, how to stay away from the gangs, uh, how to get a job and get out of the slums that they were in in uh, Clip Town in Soweto. Um, and so I had five classes of 30 kids and the youngest kids were 10 years old. And I, I went over with uh, several chess sets and I decided I'd run a tournament for these kids. And at the end of the uh, week and a half that they were there, I would give a uh, chess set to the winner in each class. And one of the 10 year olds came up to me early on in the tournament and said, I hope I win this tournament because my mother's been saving up for two years to get me a chess set. And she saved up $2 and the chess set costs $4. So I hope I win. Wow. And, and the last game of the tournament, he was in contention to win the 10 year old prize. And he was winning his game and he made a mistake and he lost the game. And I had five classes. I had six chess sets that I was gonna give away. So that night, at the uh, dinner, after dinner, we had a, we gave out the prizes and I made a sixth prize for most enthusiastic. And so the winner, each winner in each grade got a, uh, a chess set. And then I awarded the most enthusiastic to that 10 year old kid. Later that night, my wife was serving as the nurse for that group. This, the, kid got sick and he went to the nurse to the infirmary and the nurse my wife was telling her that he won most enthusiastic he said 
He said, I was winning my last game and I almost won for my class. He said, I wonder if I won, if I would have gotten two chess sets, one for most enthusiastic and one for winning the grade. So he was a cute kid. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, look, I, I love to see, you know, people's, you know, passion uh, over the years. Um, you know, you also said something about, you know, the importance of, of patience, not, uh, you know, getting an answer, uh, you know, necessarily right away. Um, you know, very often we'll ask a student, you know, hey, is, you know, what's the best move here? You know, and they, you know, immediately, uh, you know, jump to it. Uh, you know, or I walk with the beginner and I say, look, is this checkmate or stalemate? And they'll uh, immediately, uh, you know, give an answer uh, when when the truth is, you know, I say all the time, actually, to students, right? It's actually, in many ways, much better to be confident about an incorrect answer than just to guess the correct answer. Um, because, you know, the truth is, um one common mistake that I would say beginners and intermediate players make is they're a little bit too satisfied sometimes with a good move. You know, they say, ah, you know, I, I made this move because it was good. It didn't blunder anything, it, you know, helped my position. Well, yeah, that's all true. But uh, ultimately, right, a better chess player on average is not going to be a weaker chess player, actually, because they made a big, a bunch of big mistakes. Right. They're going to do it because on the whole, uh, you know, they just made better moves, uh, you know, than their weaker opponent, especially obviously more and more at, at the top levels. Right. Um, I'm actually going next month to uh, the world championship in, in Dubai with uh, Carlos Perdomo, uh, who, who actually has been on the podcast before uh, and Oren Hudson. Um and, uh, you know, I guarantee you when we're looking at, you know, the matches, you know, Carlson and Nepo aren't going to make any obvious blunders. Uh, you know, the games that are, you know, are won uh, are going to be done. So, uh, you know, just because, you know, again, uh, the, the, the winner is going to ultimately make slightly better moves uh, and, you know, outplay the other the, the opponent and uh, and win. So um the other thing I, I really wanted to, you know, actually ask you about, you were, you know, a dentist for, you know, many years. Um, Dwayne Barber uh, actually wrote a, well, just published his second book, actually, uh, on chess humor. And uh, Dwayne, of course, has also been on the podcast. But uh, the reason I, I bring that up is there's a funny story in the first book uh, that I actually wrote uh, about exchanging chess lessons for cleanings. Uh, with, with Dr. Keith Silverman uh, on the Upper West Side here in Manhattan. Uh, have you ever like made any like fun exchanges for, for, for dental work? <laughs> Actually, um, it was my secret of my success. <laughs> I, I became friends with a very strong international master named Mike Valvo, hmm. who played at the Westfield Chess Club. And at, at, a time, at that time, this was in the early 1980s, or actually late 1970s, uh, when he came to the Westfield Chess Club. And I played him in a five-minute game. And I had been working on a early deviation in the Sicilian defense. And it's an inverted move order. And I played it against him. 
in this five-minute tournament. I played it as black. And coincidentally, he had been working on the same inverted move order. Wow. <laughs> and after the game was over, and I played it out several moves, and after the game was over, he said, where did you find that? And I said, he said, what book is that in? He said, I said, I made that up myself. He said, well, so did I. I've been working on that. I'm waiting to spring it on a grandmaster. And you sprung it on me. And I was just wondering where you found it. And so we became friends. He said, you show me all your work and I'll show you my work. And, and he showed me an improvement in my in the work that I had been done on this inverted order of moves. And in 1982, I played in the New York Open, the under 1800 tournament, in the under 1800 section of the New York Open. My last round was against a kid from Harvard. And I played that move order and I played the improvement he showed me. And that, that improvement went out 20 moves. And I had used two minutes on my clock and my opponent had used an hour and 45 minutes on his clock. I didn't even have to think. And I won that match and won the top under 1800 in the New York Open um, using Valvo's work. So anyway, he became uh, my patient and he came to my office every Sunday for a year in uh, the 1980s and he would teach me chess for two hours and I would work on his teeth for two hours. So we spent four hours every Sunday morning. Uh, I did a lot of dental work and he did a lot of teaching me chess. And my wow. rating at that point went from, I had been about a 1670 player. And by the end of the year working with him, my rating, my published rating went up to 2080. Just from taking lessons with him every Sunday for two hours for a year. I won top under 1800, went on to win in the World Open, I won the top under 1900. And um, I actually had an intern, my top published rating was 2080. I had gone over 2100 for a short time. Then he moved away, he moved out to Colorado. I stopped taking lessons. And, and as the years went by, my rating slowly drifted down again. So, hmm. uh, but playing with him every week was a, uh, it was worth all the dental work I did. Uh, I got a lot of good pointers from him. Well, that, that, that that's amazing. And uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, I actually met Keith uh, Silverman at a, a BNI meeting uh, in New York. And, uh, you know, it, we, we met and, um, you know, he, he basically just said that, uh, you know, why don't we exchange? And I, you know, I thought he was actually, you know, somewhat joking at first, but uh, he, he wasn't. And uh, yeah, like we actually had a great exchange, but um, I, I guess the, the one other like, you know, dental related question I, I thought I'd ask real quick, um, what, um, if anything, uh, would you say might be like a parallel between like chess and dentistry in terms of the work that you do. I actually wrote an article called Chess and Dentistry. The mm. thought process in chess and the thought process in solving chess problems and playing chess and the thought process in diagnosing and treating people, uh, there's a lot of similarities. 
For example, in both chess and in dentistry, narrow-mindedness is a good trait. The ability to focus in on details. There's a, a little spot on the board. You have to check that out. Then you go to another part of the board and check that out and really focus in on the details. But you also have to be able to step back in both and look at the whole picture. So you have mm -hmm. to focus in on a tooth and a problem with the tooth, but you have to also realize there's a patient that you're dealing with. And there's more than just the tooth. And the same thing in chess. There may be a problem here to solve, but there's another problem on the other side of the board to solve. And you have to put, then orchestrate the whole thing and come up with a plan. In mm. dentistry, too, come up with a plan. How are you going to treat this tooth, but how are you going to treat the other teeth? How do you put the whole thing together into a plan? So treatment planning in dentistry and chess uh, go hand in hand. Mm. I've, I've lost the picture here, so. Yeah, well, very interesting. And, um, you know, one thing, uh, you know, for sure that, um, you know, is interesting, you know, we often see a lot of, uh, you know, parallels between, uh, you know, chess and, uh, you know, really any business or, you know, science field. Um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, software engineers on the podcast. We've had a lot of finance people on the podcast. Um, you're certainly the first dentist that we've had, uh, you know, on the podcast, but um, that, that's one thing that I see every week, you know, but whatever it is, um, you know, in chess, you're not just learning chess, but you're learning how to, uh, you know, think, uh, you know, in, in any other field that you're, you're working in. Um, so, Dr. Lewis, I really want to thank you for taking some time to come on today, uh, talk a little bit about your experience growing up. Uh, you know, spending some life on the Thomas Jefferson High School team, uh, moving on and working with the UPenn uh, Collegiate Club, um, taking lessons uh, for $8 an hour with Grandmaster Russell Limo, but, uh, you know, learning a lot, um, getting into, you know, some chess uh, pedagogy uh, insights uh, and talking a little bit, you know, about the parallels, uh, you know, between chess and dentistry. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much, uh, you know, for your time. Uh, the last thing that I, I usually like to ask, uh, you know, if anyone does, if anyone is interested, you know, wants to learn more about Dr. Lewis and your whole, uh, you know, adventures, uh, you know, in chess and dentistry, uh, is there a way people could get a hold of you? Uh, I think if they contact you, you can direct them to me. So That is absolutely true. Of course, you can find... And uh, Richard Lewis on premierchess.com slash our team, uh, as he is uh, very much an integral uh, member of uh, our team. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. It was my pleasure having you. I want to thank you for running this premier. It's a, a great organization you have and you, you teach a lot of the kids and it's a, just a wonderful thing. I think you enrich all their lives by what you do with premier chess. So Kudos and uh, yeah, and and look, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, it really is a team effort. Uh, you know, I can't do it with, uh, you know, out anyone else. And, um, you know, look, I really want to thank, you know, Yaakov and Mikal. Uh, you know, of course, if it wasn't for both of them, I, you know, never would have met you, uh, of course. So, um, yeah, you know, really thanks to them for, uh, you know, connecting me with you. And two, uh, you two know. great kids. They were. I'm proud of those students. They really, that's what makes teaching chess worthwhile when you get students like that. that uh, and now he's so spreading well. the love to others. Well, both of them are. So yep. thank you, Richard. Okay. We'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, Evan.